tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey, welcome to Overtired, you guys. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm here as always. This, I, this is Brett Terpstra. Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and I'm here with oh, hey. I'm here with my <laughs> usual co-host, Christina Warren and Jeff Severance Gunsel. How you guys doing? We're good. good. We're good, I think. Um, so it, we're recording this on a Saturday. So this is uh, this is like the. It's weird because uh, I guess yesterday was like Good Friday and Passover and like um, uh, like uh, an Islamic like holiday and something else. It was like all these like holiday like like you got your Ramadan, days at once. you got Ramadan, your Passover, yes. and we all still had to work. You got your Easter, sure. yep. yeah, yeah. Right, that is a kind of interesting. Right, is that is that everybody still had to work, although. I had there were a number of people who were out um at GitHub, which uh was um nice that, that people would just like take that time or whatever. But um My do you, ha- have you had to see your, your parents yet, Brett, or are you gonna have to like spend Easter with them? Oh yeah. I, in fact I have a topic on our list to talk about how amazing I, I found this shortcut to having safe conversations with my parents. Easter did not come up. Uh, because Saturday, in between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I don't, at least a fundamentalist doesn't mean shit. Like, nobody right. cares about Saturday. So, so we had our Saturday breakfast, and if I had showed up on Sunday, there would have been some conversations, especially considering it's the full moon, and this is a werewolf Jesus year. Like, we would have had, we would Not have to had, your like, parents, but to shotguns you? and silver <laughs> bullet conversations. You celebrate um, warehouse, were, werewolf Jesus. No, yes. but my my joke yeah, all day yesterday was that's funny. It doesn't feel like a Good Friday because, <laughs> and I can't. I'm I'm but sworn I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sworn to secrecy, but but Oracle Devrel had a severity level one event, and I worked till nine p.m. on Thursday night and was up at the crack of dawn on Friday to deal with this severity one event okay so okay you're sworn to secrecy but let me just back up here because we're, we're going to go into into mental health thing and this probably might have something to do with it but okay this is this is the devrel teams thing so well so this was, no or no i, I was gonna say the, you're not so a, you're not an sre you're not like the, on the call why, why are you on this our our role in this was communication with customers gotcha oh um, so so you were not going to be atlassian okay got it <laughs> I don't know what that means. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, so the the joke here, uh, joke. So Atlassian has had an outage for some of its customers, like up to four hundred of its customers. There's been an outage that is at this point, I think, about two weeks long, where all their services have been out. Like the Atlassian cloud has been out, and um, Atlassian finally, after like ten days, finally at the beginning of last week, and now or this week, I guess we're recording on Saturday. Um, Finally addressed the situation and sort of apologized and um, promised a postmortem. Basically, the problem was is that they ran some sort of uh, script without testing it. It wound up um, uh, compromising some um, uh, user data and some other things. And so, the situation that they were left with was: if we restore from the backup, it will overwrite and and lose all the stuff that the majority of our customers have done. But if we, you know, but but because um, if we don't restore, if we just like get the services up and running, then 400 customers won't have any of their data, um, like they will have data loss. So they, um, 
the the 400 customers that are impacted by this have been in this kind of series of stasis where they might have access to some services at this point, but they probably don't have access, but they definitely don't have access to all of them. And, and Atlassian is having to kind of manually go through to, to do recovery stuff, which is painful. But the worst part of all of this, because, you know, mistakes can happen, is they didn't bother saying anything to anybody for like days and days and days. Yeah. No, so Oracle. It's just, it's, it's just a terrible situation. Oracle is being very proactive. I think, I think everything's going to be resolved and they will actually give us, apparently, Easter Monday is a thing. Um, Interesting. Nice. And we don't get Good Friday off, but we get Easter Monday off. Isn't there something the Monday before Easter too, like Monday something? There might oh, be. I don't know. It's. Like I just looked and on one of my calendars, Easter Monday is actually listed as yeah. a thing. Um, and I, I guess never noticed sure. that before either. I think in some jurisdictions it might be. I think I have a, I have a feeling like it, it, it's on a, a couple of holiday calendars that I have. So who knows? Maybe it is. I don't. It's not an official holiday for us, but I totally understand that there are probably places in the world and and maybe even in like corporations who are like, yeah, we'll give you Monday off. Oracle is very good about giving us anything remotely resembling a holiday. We get the day off, which for us remote workers just means they don't schedule meetings for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I, I, I love like, it. I, I like I'm, my head kind of, my wheels started turning with remotely resembling a holiday. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're like, Ooh, what holidays can we, it's eat? national <laughs> pet day. Well, I was going <laughs> to say, right. right. Cause every day, if you look at those stupid ass social media calendars where like right. every fucking brand is created, it is national hot dog day. It's national this day. It's national that day. It's like, it's secretaries you know, who are also your sibling day. Exactly. And, 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 and then like, like, let's do, let's do these hashtags and come up with like a calendar of shit to tweet. Um, you know, you wonder like, okay, could we take advantage of this? Um, and it was <laughs> when I worked at Mashable, who I, right, I mean, I, I always say this about, about this stuff, cause I do feel sort of guilty. Like I wasn't directly responsible for that proliferation, but Mashable as an entity, especially in the early 2010s certainly was because, we were the de facto like site of record of all the kind of social media space. And, and so marketers and, and, you know, uh, friends and stuff would, would use stuff that we published and things that we did as like ideas for how to do social. And so a lot of times, like when that whole thing took off of, of, you know, coming up with with stupid stuff to like, it's this day to celebrate on social media, we would write about it and then reinforce that it was a good idea. And, um, and then brands would oftentimes, send us stuff and do shit. Like I would just get random things delivered to my office for just dumb days, like national ice cream day, national this day, national what, like Ben and Jerry's would show up, you know, and whatnot. And, and so I I feel guilty to a certain extent, but I also did get free swag out of a lot of it, man. That was such a thing. Like I remember it was even like 2009. I think I worked for Utney reader, which had been, very much like a magazine about magazines. And, uh-huh. and so when they, when they, you know, created a website, they were, you know, way out of their depth and, and made a lot of mistakes and content. A lot of content went straight from, um, 
Word doc drafts of articles with TKs still in them oh, to the web somehow. But what by the time I came on and I was in charge of the website uh, and all the content there, we had this publisher from Kansas, from Topeka, Kansas, that had bought the thing and they were super into just like, you know, anything to get the clicks. And, you know, they would send us all the different stuff, the mashable stuff, whatever people yep. were doing. But like, I remember there was a point where our publisher uh, called me and was like, question blogs. We need question blogs and I want it to be videos. You ask a question, any question we found in our research that any question gets people to click for the answer. And and I was like super opposed and I was a super asshole about it. And so I prepared this very short video where, um, do you remember, any, I mean, you can still do this, but when you first were able on on Max to put like clouds, moving clouds behind you in photo yeah. booth or whatever. So I had all these clouds, but I wasn't in the picture. And then I rolled into the picture and I got really close and I said, you going to eat that? And I submitted that as my first question block. <laughs> it wasn't a favorite. I wasn't a favorite. <laughs> Those are funny so, times, though. Do this. No, do this. You got to do this. Lots of clicks. Do this. Oh, God. I no, I know. And every, think and, about and, what and I want to do. Exactly. And then and then we were, like, it was always, I always felt guilty, like I said, because Mashable, we were both the example of what it would look like if you were successful. And we were also writing kind of, um, you know, like like tips and whatnot and and yet like sometimes we were successful for those things but a lot of times we weren't you know and it was mm. just like we were trying we were throwing stuff at at the wall and trying to see what well, we were experimenting with lots of stuff like mashable was successful back then because it experimented not necessarily because you know yeah. it, it prescribed all those things and i, I feel bad sometimes because i'm like that model didn't have longevity mashable had to pivot a lot of times and didn't pivot the, the right way fast enough um to to kind of save itself and uh i mean it's still around but it's not the same and uh so i like yeah i look back at the era and i'm like man i'm i'm real sorry to all the smaller publications who <laughs> but like tried who, to yeah who were you looking over at at that point was it like boing boing and i feel like i it's can only think of What's that? It was, Buzz, it was BuzzFeed. It was BuzzFeed. And it, was, it was BuzzFeed and it was TechCrunch. And we were... Um, TechCrunch, right. We, okay. we were bigger than TechCrunch very early on, but they had the scoops. And and then BuzzFeed came at us hard. We were bigger than them for a long time. I would say it was probably 2011, 2012 when they surpassed us. Yeah. And because I remember having a meeting with, with John Steinberg, who was the president of BuzzFeed, and Jonah Peretti, the CEO, in... Uh, April, no, shoot, February of, of 2011, um, because I hadn't even moved to New York yet. And I remember having drinks with them, and they told me kind of about what the long-term vision of BuzzFeed was and what they were going to be doing, a lot of their native ad stuff, which was very successful for a long time, and how they were going to kind of scale themselves and kind of shift into being a different type of model, what they had been. And, and they'd wanted to partner with Mashable in some way. And I went back and I talked to the Mashable execs and I was like, we need to partner with them because they are going to, they are going to be bigger than us. Like the, the, they, they are a threat and that, that never happened. And if it had happened, I'm not saying that it would have changed the trajectory of anything. And in fact, it might've, you know, hurt both companies to a certain extent. I don't know, but I, I I saw that existential threat like from meeting them, and I was like, "Oh fuck, the wave is coming." Whereas I think it took another probably six to six months to a year for the rest of Mashable to actually see, "Oh, Buzzfeed is now actually going to to like kick our asses, and 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 it's coming for our turf." 
But yeah, no, BuzzFeed was the big one. And then, I mean, at certain verticals would be The Verge and other things. But the ultimate thing that killed Mashable was that, and, and I'd said this again, probably in 2011 or 2012, I remember somebody interviewing me for something about like the the changing nature of, of media and um, what um, needed to happen. And I said, we need to become the New York Times before the New York Times becomes us. And what wound up happening was in, in 2014, the New York Times had like this big innovation report and and where they had like this, it was like one of the most brutal self-assessments I've ever seen where the, the, the now publisher, but at the time he was some of the publisher and um, just running like a special projects things kind of eviscerated the entire way the organization was running and they compared it to modern digital, um, you know, uh, digital like startups and and the way people were getting news and basically said, we've got to diversify. We have to change the way our newsroom is structured. We have to do make all these changes and pivot. Mm. And they executed on that. And what wound up happening in 2016 when, when you know, uh, Mashable layoffs and change directions and, and you know, things, um, they ultimately were sold a, a year and a half later, was that the New York Times became Mashable before Mashable could become the New York Times. Mm. So mm. that's ultimately what yeah. happened. And in BuzzFeed, it was a similar thing where BuzzFeed – was with with Ben Smith and and they're pushing the news like they had a lot of things going for them but they were never able to harness their business and kind of turn it into something the way that, that the Times was whereas the Times to their immense credit took I think all the lessons of what the digital native publications were doing and applied it to their own legacy business and added in other things you know they added in audio they added in games they added in you know the cooking apps and and wire cutter and all this stuff and they they succeeded. So, yeah. Oh my god. They're just a juggernaut. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, that was that was a, a long tangent. Sorry, Brett. I know you're very bored. Oh, could Oh, we have video now. You yeah. can see. You can I see can totally me see scrolling. <laughs> I, yeah. You can see me just drifting off here. I, I saw I, um, I saw just the vacancy in your in, in your eyes. <laughs> um, I would like to uh, jump into our mental health corner. Yes. Um, I would like to lead it off by reading a four-year-old review of this podcast, because I feel like it'll really put us in the right headspace. Okay. Two stars. You ready? Yes. It's not that there is anything, quote-unquote, wrong with this podcast. The couple sound like nice people. They're just unbelievably boring to listen to. Overtired really is the perfect title because it's like they haven't slept, are in a half half dream, half awake state, just rambling on about nothing in particular. Yes. I want to give it one star because I got absolutely nothing of value out of this podcast. Nothing even vaguely entertaining, but I give them two stars for at least trying. Let's see. Poor, let me guess, fella? <laughs> no, I love, oh my God. Hard to I say. I feel so I feel so seen and so dragged. Right. <laughs> like I like 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 I wish everyone could see the the the, the look on my face right now because I just have pure glee. Like this is such a good takedown. Like I'm not even mad. I'm like fair, honestly, fair. Yeah, completely accurate. Like I'm not even mad. Like we do cool. episodes with only the vaguest idea what we're going to talk about, and and we just let whatever happens happen. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's entertaining, and sometimes it makes me drift off, and yep. you know it's all good. But well, you you interrupted for the sake of that listener or not listener, <laughs> you interrupted my follow up questions about Mashable and and that era. Yeah, of, we, I have so we many were, questions. We'll <laughs> we were talk about a, that at another we, point. We right. were on a train <laughs> headed somewhere. I I was 
only only vaguely interested in. No, I can um, tell. Much like the- much like this reviewer, only vaguely. I was going to say, Jeff, you and I are just going to have like a, a media uh, episode at some point, right, and, right. and, and Brett's just going to like tune out. So I, I yeah. can take a week yeah. off. You guys can That's have what I'm a saying. podcast for That's a week. That's what I'm saying. You, you we could bring, uh, and- <laughs> bring someone from Boing Boing on to tell us what the hell happened. So I'll give you my mental health update. Everything Please. is as good. I've been sick. Like I've had some stomach stuff going on for the last few days, and uh, mental health becomes secondary when my physical health is nothing but pain. Um, but now I'm feeling better and I can get back to focusing on how fucked up everything else is. Um, overall though, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm having a good week despite severity one issues at my job. I actually think I thrive in that chaos? kind of environment. I was yeah. going to say, I bet you do. Give me chaos. Give me pressure. Give me mm-hmm. deadlines. Give me like I need this in one hour. Yeah, I'll fucking fly. Like I can do that. You say I need this in give or take a month. Right, it's not going to get done. But you tell me I need this on my desk in one hour, and I'll get it done. Like I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's funny because I was talking to my shrink about that actually um, on Thursday um, during our. our- the um, monthly appointment and that exact topic came up. Um, he was giving me one of his his uh, solo- soliloquies on on boredom and stuff again, and and I was talking about how like for me, for my ADHD is similar to you. Like I need that sense of urgency and and that mm-hmm. you know kind of like the the pressure to oftentimes do things and get things done. Like if it doesn't exist, it's a real problem. Yeah. So like you and even I mean, again, arbitrary deadlines. One hundred percent, even arbitrary deadlines. The problem there is if you know it's arbitrary, uh-huh. Uh-huh. then you can continue to put it off. But but like, yeah, because having- I'm also a really good bullshit artist, and if exactly. I know I can get away with missing a deadline, I probably will. My brain right. can spot a fake deadline from like four <laughs> weeks away. Yeah, totally. But when you know that there's like actual like, okay, it, it it's make or break time. I've got to get this done, and I I only have this period of time. Then there's it's like. Okay, now I can go into focus mode. The whole thing I come up because he'd asked me was like, "Is it pretty easy for you to kind of get into to focus and work mode?" I was like, "No, I was like, I need the the you know external pressure." Absolutely. Yeah, I had a conversation with my psychiatrist this week, also known as an appointment, um, and uh, and I asked if I could raise my. I have like ten milligrams left. I could still raise my my Vivance. Uh, there's, I'm at 60 and it comes in up to 70 and she did not want to do that or, and I've also had like depression going on, um, sans mania, but still depression. And she didn't want to add any antidepressants to my already long list of medications. So she wants me to see a counselor, uh, like to find a psychologist. And I think it was Jeff actually... Help me find the right guy. I think, I think guy. it was, uh, was uh, Jeff, maybe. I think it was. I think it was that Jeff guy <laughs> sent me a link to what? What was that site called? Oh, everybody! Psychology Today, the website has a therapist and and other mental health um, professional finder that is for anybody wow. in the country. And I found uh, my previous therapist. I found my new therapist. I found. I mean, I've just found so yeah. many. Actually, I found that. a guy pretty close to home here that specializes in ADHD and addiction and no no reference to bipolar but if you're if 
if if right, you have if both of those things, then it's yeah. Yeah. So I I'm I'm I haven't made the contact yet. I haven't taken that first step, but I found my guy. I found That's he's great. a guy. Like I've never figured out if I respond better to male or female counselors. Um, I think I think it depends. I think it depends entirely on the person. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it, I don't think gender matters to me. If yeah. I if I sense I can bullshit someone from the get go, I have a hard time opening up, and I just I put up like this. I know I'm paying. Why why lie to someone you're paying? But it's because just like instinct for me. I, I was gonna say it's an instinctual thing. Like you you either don't want to be judged or or you don't yeah. you know. There's like other things going on. Yeah, I'm trying to think about that. I don't know. I think like you. I think it probably depends on the person. I don't know if it's a gendered thing. I will say I've had my two successful psychiatrists slash psychologists, because I've, I've had um, a, a few over the years who've been the dual role, including my primary shrink who I've been seeing since I was 19. And um, other than like the, the dark period when I ghosted him. Um, and then there is a guy that I, I saw uh, when I was in high school, but I've had numbers, numerous attempts. So like, it's been men that I've been successful with and I've had some very negative experiences with, with women, but I, I do feel like I, if the right woman, like, I don't feel like it could be a problem. Right. And I've also had some negative experiences with men. Sure. So I think it just depends on the person. Yeah. Same here. Like I, I don't, I don't think I respond better. I think it, I think it very much depends on how, um, how forthright they are and whether they ask me good questions from the get go. Yes. If I feel yes. like you're asking stupid questions, uh, I will, I'll, I turn off very quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, for me, it comes down to, like, are they respecting my intelligence? And, yeah. um, like, like that's a big one. Because a lot of times you go into these things and, um, like, I'm, I'm not trying to generalize, but this is just true. Because there are a lot of mental health and, and counselors and stuff out there. And a lot of counselors immediately go into, like, the placating or kind of, like, being you know, a condescending role, like that, that can sometimes be kind of the, the default yeah. kind of reaction. And, and there are people who like, won't respect your intelligence. And you almost feel like you have to prove when you first get in the door that I am valid for being here. What, and mm, you what know, gets, what gets me is when they ask questions about my history Yeah, and I tell them where I came from and they seem shocked or like overly oh, impressed. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were yeah. a heroin addict. Oh yeah. my right. God. Exactly. What was that's that a, like? That's a flag. Just take it in stride. Just accept that this is where I came from. Understand all the baggage that comes with, you know, that statement and fucking move on. It's yeah. like it's like yeah. when they're overly impressed by my lifestyle that I get mm-hmm. I get a little concerned about their well being. Right. And it's also like, like how much have you seen? Right. And, and yeah, like you, right, you, you for you, sure. Like you can also, you can respect you and be like, hey, it's really great that you've been able to get through that and you can be like impressed. But yeah. like if you're at that, like, like, oh my God, that's so what? It's like, okay, right. now you're making me feel weird. Like, like, like yeah. now, now, now you're, you're making me feel like I, like there's something wrong with me and, and I don't want to be judged. You know, yeah. I think that's the big thing, right? Like, the it's like most telling important- someone they're so brave for posting a picture of themselves on Instagram. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, Dude, that's go so fuck brave. yourself. <laughs> yeah. You're so brave. Yeah. It's like, no, it's you the it's worst like, backhanded insult. It's it's like congrats. It's like and in some cases like, there might be Yeah, like <laughs> right. in some cases it is. And in some cases there might be some sort of bravery involved in showing something really raw and emotional, but the response shouldn't be you're so brave. 
it should be like, I'm, I'm really proud of you for doing this. Yeah. So, Christina, how's your mental health? Um, it's fine. I mean, I'm still kind of, I don't know. I've been kind of in a, things have been, it's been nice being at the new job and kind of having a new thing to get excited about. But there's definitely been some depression that's been existing for a while where I'm feeling just kind of like lethargic and, and I'm having like a lack of, you know, being able to, I guess, not focus. But there's there have been some issues with being able to. Um, I guess deal with some of my anxiety to get some things taken care of. But I mean, all in all, it's depression it's fine. and a- depression and anxiety at the same time. Yeah, they yeah. they usually go together. Oh sure, for, for a me lot of anyway. People, they do. Yeah, yeah. For, for, for me, <laughs> for me, they tend to be two separate issues uh, that I deal with one at a time. But I can imagine what it's like to deal with both. Yeah, like the dream sickle of hell. <laughs> <laughs> I have found a lot of my. Stuff that I would claim was a focus issue has been very tied to depression for me. Um, My focus is, it's not, it's not an inability to focus. It's an inability to get started on anything. Yeah. Yeah. I have that. That's, that's my issue too. And for me, a lot of that is tied up in anxiety because it will be, I'll have anxiety about starting. I'll have anxiety about it, about it not having already happened, which will then fuel Mm, more anxiety, make it harder and which will only then make me depressed. So it's like a self like, a self-fulfilling cycle. Yeah, but it's also yes. like 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 what's what's what, what what's the thing like we're like you know the it, self-perpetuating. It yeah, exactly. Self-perpetuating. There we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that's hard. Yeah, just plain hard. Jeff, how about you? Uh, I'm doing. <clears throat> I'm doing good. I'm. I'm. Um, I have a new therapist. I've had like I think three appointments now, and and I've just. They're just the best. And, um, it's awesome. I've, I, I, it's caused me to reflect a lot because, you know, I've, I've only had three therapists as an adult. I mean, I'm sorry, I guess that can be a lot for some people, but like I had one for a little bit in my twenties. And then about five years ago, I started therapy again and held that one for five years. That therapist retired and I went through another period of just not dealing with getting a therapist and now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm back on. And, and um, it's interesting to tell your story again. Um, you know, when I feel like, especially my therapist prior to this one who retired, like what did a phenomenal job of holding my story in her mind. And part of that was just good note taking, but it was like, she could, after five years, she could really, really like move quickly with me. You know, oh, um, that I like, I don't have a lot of experience with therapy, but I imagine that really matters to not have to explain yeah, yourself. It's every the, time. It, like being witnessed is powerful and then being witnessed over and over. Cause like in your own, in your personal life with friends, with partners, whatever, like just because of the dynamics of a relationship that is not therapeutic, right. And transactional, um, you, you can, your story can get old or you can feel like your story is old and, and that could cause you to think that your story is something other than what it is, right? Like, oh, it's old, it's stale, it's whatever. But if it's still acting on you um, or the elements of it are still acting on you, then it's still a real thing that needs to be addressed. And so telling my story over, it's like um, helpful to remember that healing, one, healing is like a thing that doesn't end. Right. Um, exactly right but like 
that it's like a spiral. I'm not in like this linear path with my inner work or my therapist or whatever. It's like a spiral where like the first time around I, I told these stories and I was, I was ready at that point for a certain kind of uh, interaction with traumas and other things. And then I came back around and I was ready for a different layer. And so like, it's just been important, an important lesson for me and like challenge myself not to be like, Oh God, this old story again. And just, be like, hey, you know, every time, every time someone is a witness to my story in a really true and meaningful way, something, some new thing is unlocked. And um, this therapist has just been so fucking good at facilitating that. Um, awesome. So that, that's been really good. And like, I'm also, I have someone who man- who manages my meds, who's new, and I, I at first thought that this was not going to be a good relationship, but we'd only had one meeting and it was before I had really tried some new meds and we just had our second meeting and she's just fucking awesome. Um, and so I feel like I'm in good hands there and, uh, which is good because the meds I'm taking are just having like not great effects on me besides the good stuff, (laughs) mental health stuff, like the side effects kind of suck. Um, and so, there's that too, but, but I'm good. And I wanted to say about psychology today to anybody listening that, um, my so my wife is a therapist and she and I give that link out including to each other sometimes uh so many times <laughs> to people who are looking for a therapist it seems i think psychology today is like always seemed to me it's just kind of like a pop psych magazine sure. yeah that's what i kind of thought of it as yeah. but they have the good articles like i do but it that. turns yeah. out they also built this just like very widely used um, system to search for mental health professionals. Yes. And and the biggest, yes. And the biggest thing I hear from friends right now who are contemplating therapy is just like, Oh, everyone's got a waiting list and you can't Mm -hmm. get in. And it's true. Like lots of people need mental health help. But what you will find if you go search <laughs> on this list, if you are in need of something, first of all, you can really drill in, like Brett said, like you can say, hey, I want addiction, someone who knows about addiction, someone who knows about ADHD, you know, but also it shows you whether or not they're accepting clients. So it'll say if you'd be on a wait list or if they're not accepting clients and you will find somebody and especially the like one, one of the few good things to come out of COVID is that these people are mostly doing telehealth. Some of them are only doing telehealth. And so you're not not, you're not limited to like the person that's inside a 10 mile radius. It's more like in your state, you know? So right. I just really recommend to people, like, even if you're like, not sure, like anyone from like someone who knows they need a therapist and they've been putting it off to someone who's like, mm, I'm not sure I need one or not. Like go there and just read what people say. And let me tell you, there are some, there are every once in a while you see someone's profile and you're like, there was this one young woman who posted this photo where I'm like, that's your photo for being a couples therapist. Like it was just this like very social media, like sassy, like turned from an angle photo. So like, you know, keep your antenna up, but um, there's some really good shit there. And I hope somebody who's listening will decide to try it as Brett did. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Sorry. You know what? I'm this right. would be an amazing transition to. Well, that's exactly what I was about to do. Oh, so. I could see, I could see your face. I could see you working on this segue. <laughs> Totally, totally. So, I mean, if you are somebody who, like Jeff, would like to uh, find a therapist and you want to to do this, I think a great place to go in addition to that resource uh, from uh, Psychology Today, um, what you can then do is you can use ZocDoc as a, a way to make sure that they take your insurance and, and make bookings and appointments, which is awesome. So, there are tons of amazing doctors out there and there are some great therapists out there, as uh, Jeff has discovered um, and, and as, as Brett and I 
I have, have both uh, experienced. Um, but really, the only thing that matters are the ones that actually take your insurance. Like, that's a big thing. You can have all the, you can have the best doctor in the world, but if they don't take your insurance, for a lot of us, that's going to kind of put them um, out, out of consideration. So with ZocDoc, you can focus on doctors who are in network, putting you on the path to see the doctors who are right for you. So no more wasting time hunting down Aunt Shirley's cash-only chiropractor or the dentist that your coworker recommended who's out of your network. Been there. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. So you can read up on local doctors, you can get verified patient reviews, and you can see what other real humans had to say about their visit. And when you walk into that doctor's office, you're basically set up to see someone in your network who gets you. So you can go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see a doctor in person, or as uh, Jeff was mentioning earlier, if you want to do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked. You can find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. And uh, I mean, I, I as I said on this uh, podcast many times, I've been using ZocDoc for over a decade. It's great. And in the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. With ZocDoc, you can get your docs in a row. Uh, 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 exactly. That's clever. All right. So go to ZocDoc.com slash overtired and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can start your search for a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash overtired. That's ZocDoc.com slash overtired. ZocDoc.com slash overtired. Thank you, Christina. Jeff, back to you. Actually, no, I'm lying. Um, mm. we're gonna we're gonna make this a sponsor block. Yes. Block, block, so block, block. We had a we had a segue to this next one early on in the show. Like first topic would have segued perfectly into this, but it was too early. Yep. Um, but if we can if we can go back in our memories to this severity one issue that kept me up late yes, at my please. day job. I'm I'm there. I'm there. If you're a software engineer, you've been there. It's 9 p.m. You're officially unwinding from work. Your phone buzzes with an alert. Something's broken. And your mind's already racing at what could be wrong. Is it the back end or the front end? Is it global? Is it the server? Did I introduce a a bug in my last deploy? Now the whole team's scrambling from tool to tool and messaging person after person to find and fix the issue. This won't happen if you get New Relic. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately so engineering teams can see across their entire stack in one place. More importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and can resolve it quickly. That's why the Dev and Ops team at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash overtired. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash overtired. Newrelic.com slash overtired. All right. Excellent. So we have some topics on our list. That like Jeff- the, wait a minute. 
I'm not finished with my transition music. Oh, man, we have a soundboard. We really... We got to make more use of our soundboard. We're here. Media. I'm your soundboard. I'm like that guy in Police Academy. Michael Winslow. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I... I meant to stop it, and I just... It sounds like... I mean, from here, it sounds like the people laughing are in the studio over from ours. You know? (laughs) All right. And that leads us into Jeff's topics. Jeff Jeff has heroically had topics on our list for Weeks. 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 And he has patiently waited for us to get around to them. And I actually find them very interesting. I do, too. And I think it's time that we dedicate some showtime here Jeff, at 40 Jeff, minutes Jeff, in. Jeff, Jeff. Let's do some Jeff. Oh. Jeff, would you like to would you like to phrase your first question? Mm-hmm. I think I'd like to do the travel question because I think it it has tentacles in mental health. And so yes. it feels like a good um yeah, so like I I used to travel a lot for my work. I know Christina, you do still travel a lot for your work. Um and um I mean I was traveling once or twice or three times a month, often inside the United States, but every several months it was an international trip usually. And um and I did that for probably I had a kind of rhythm of of travel like that for probably like five years before the pandemic started. Um and then it just stopped right which for me i just loved that i loved not traveling even though you i loved, loved it traveling okay because because for me it was actually it was, it was the opposite like I, I had such a hard time like having to be grounded for mm. two years sorry yeah it's weird i yeah i i was surprised how much i loved it but anyway now i've got two international trips coming up one at the end of may to spain and one at the end of june to kenya and wow. um and then a probably a reporting trip to Omaha and a related trip to New York. So like there's, there's trips coming up. And one of the reasons that I loved um, not traveling was I, I never solved the question of how do you come home from travel? Um, And for me, that has like a few different layers. Like it's one, it's like, how do you get back into a routine that is good for your mental health? Like whatever, like I, for me, I know that when I'm most sort of um, stable mental health wise, it's when I have like a really good routine. But I also know that if I don't leave that routine and take a trip somewhere that I don't do well long-term with that routine. Like trips really liven me up. Like I love, I love traveling. Like even when it was traveling to war zones, like I loved, I loved being me somewhere else. Um, and in some other condition and, and, and especially I, I love that what travel gives you is a certain level of uncertainty. And, and I really like living in uncertainty sometimes, not too much uncertainty, but a little bit. Right. right? Um, and, and so for me coming home, um, has always been difficult. It takes me a while to get back on my feet after I've made a trip. And so like, it takes me a while to get back into, to get work momentum going, to get um, my kind of meal, like the way I eat and the way I sleep. It's just whatever, it messes me up. So 
And then I'm not always present, right? It takes me a while to be present. To, it, takes, right. it takes all of me a while to come home usually, right? Especially on an international trip. And so I was, I, I was posing this, this question, and I'll, I'll answer first, which is, you know, what do you know about how to come home? Um, and for me, um, what I know is I have a couple of things I do that tend to work really well. One is I write a sort of memo to myself before I leave. That is exactly what I was working on the day I left or the day before I left. So it's like you were working on this project and you left it off here. You were waiting on this person to get back to you, whatever. So that like I have some chance of coming home and just like getting right into it. Um, so it's like, and it's like, I write, I'm silly about it. I'm like, hello, Jeff, how was your trip? Oh, glad you're back. I just wanted to remind you of what you, what you were up to before you left. I love that. Yeah. You're, you're like yeah, exactly. creating characters talking back to yourself. You're like, hello. Yes, exactly. So I find that really helpful. And then, you know, in terms of coming back and being present, like I have two teenage boys, um, who, who are gloriously still present to me and I am present to them and I have a wife and I have two cats and I have a mom who lives nearby. Like, um, I have, I have had mixed results in coming home and, and really landing. And when I have been able to land, it's when I've had a long enough flight to really just focus on the fact that I'm in some sort of portal from this life over here, which is not real, which is me wandering around cities in some other country, you know, eating whatever I want and, and doing literally whatever I want. Um, like the transition between that and, and the, the fella who's going to be driving kids to school in the morning and, you know, who just needs to be present. Like, so if I have a long flight, I can kind of meditate on that and just like remind myself, almost like visualize myself. But if it's like a short flight, man, it's super jarring to come home. So anyway, those are my... <laughs> the way you describe that makes me curious what international Jeff exactly is doing when he does, quote, whatever I want. Well, like as an example, I, I know that's a little bit of a lead up for a joke, but I'm like, it's not, <laughs> it's not anything like that. I just mean like... um you know, like if you have someone in your house, it doesn't matter if it's a roommate or a, or a, you know, a partner or a spouse or whatever, like generally speaking, they want to know where you are and when you'll be back. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I'm the same yeah. way. I want no, to know where people are and when they'll be back. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and when I am traveling internationally i am an explorer and nobody and ever have asks. no accountability to yeah yeah understood i'm gonna let christina field this question because i haven't traveled much at all for years now um i do have some thoughts about coming home to a partner and all of the uh strife that the expectations versus reality but i'm gonna let christina answer the actual coming home part yeah, no, and I I'm I'm curious to to hear your thoughts on on that part, um, Brett, because I think that that's actually maybe the hardest part for me is the coming back to people aspect. Like you and and you have kids and you have like your wife. Like I have I've uh, my husband, but like it's I don't have the same sense of like having to be present in the same way. Like I feel like you know for for a partner isn't quite the same as having to be present for kids. Like I feel like they're different, um, and, and maybe they shouldn't be. But but the way I would kind of look at them would, would be that way. So and I probably am worst. Like the probably the the aspect that I'm worst worst about is is being present for people when I get back. In terms of the focusing and getting in on other stuff, my typical approach 
has kind of been the same as what it is when I go on trips. So one of the things that I quickly realized when I started traveling a lot, and and I should say that most of my travel, um, and I will be traveling a lot in the next few months, uh, most of it domestically, but, but leading up to the pandemic, most of my travel was international. So it was, which is for me different than, than domestic. Domestic in some ways is harder uh, because of exactly what you said, like you don't have that time to be in a portal to kind of get in the right headspace. But for international, the way I'd kind of my approach to things was to um, try to get there a day in advance if I could to have, you know, at least a day to get rid of jet lag and get used to being there and and kind of decompress. Um, I didn't always have that luxury, but if I did, that was really, really useful if I had to kind of get there. Um, and then like literally the next, you know, so as so if I arrive in at one or 2 PM and then I've got to be, you know, at rehearsal um, immediately. And then um, I've got to be on stage at, at 8 or 9 a.m. the next day. I could do that, but that sucks. It would be great if, if instead the next day would be like, you know, that would be when the rehearsal would happen and in my decompressed day. And then the day after that would be um, when I would, you know, present or, or whatever. So I think coming back is the same thing. It's like I try to give myself a day to get over jet lag and to get back into momentum. And so that might mean for work, okay, if I, if I come back in on, um, and this would be even true, I think, even for a domestic trip, because there were times when I would, like, fly to San Francisco and back in the same day. And if that were the case, then maybe, like, maybe that's not as big of a deal. It's just you're going to be tired. But trying to say, okay, the day after I get back from my trip is just going to be a day where I sleep and I do laundry and I decompress and I get used to uh, the new time zone and then the day after that is when I can start on my work and stuff again. So I think that's that's always been for me kind of my my key things of coming back is to make sure I take that time to get acclimated. And then it's much easier to to jump into the work and whatnot. But if it's and that's kind of a, a, a um, setting expectations for the people I work with thing, which is to be like, hey, I just got back from this trip. I'm not going to be available in this time, or you know, scheduling your return. So mm. that you have that time to be able to do it. Um, but but Brett, I want to hear your perspective on coming back to a partner because I think that's the more challenging part is how to be present and be back in kind of that flow, whether it means having to be accountable to someone or it just means being present in one another's, you know, like lives again when you haven't been for however yeah. long. Yeah, and 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 I don't have solutions. I can only help elucidate the problem. Uh, but first, I want to say, Jeff, I love the idea of leaving yourself notes. Uh, uh, like, before you leave, what is it you need to know to get back to where you are in this moment? And that's exactly why I wrote Doing, was for that kind of mm. situation where I was stepping away. And for me, it was like, I'm stepping away for 10 minutes and I'm going to forget what I was doing because I'm ADHD mm -hmm. and I'll I'll like refocus and I'll come back. But like exactly for that purpose, I like just type, here's what I'm doing now. Here's the notes I need to remember to get back into doing this. And then I can just sit down and type doing recent and see exactly what was happening last time I was here. But the the problem I've run into with travel uh, is I'm gone long enough to really miss my family. And in my case, like partner and pets and things. And And I think I'm gone long enough for them to miss me too, so we build up expectations around what the reunion will be like. Mm -hmm. 
But the fact is, I'm injecting myself at that point into a daily life that they have continued on without me. Right. And and as far as they're concerned, I'm behind the ball. I have missed out on some of that daily life. And I come home expecting hugs and kisses, and it's so good to see you tell me all about your trip, which does happen but it never feels as gratifying as I think it will. And then I'm immediately expected to be back and be part of this life that I have been separated from for, you know, five, 10 days, whatever. Um, and and it's, har- it's a hard reintegration for me because meanwhile, I've been doing, like Jeff says, on my own schedule, not accountable to anyone doing what I want to do when I want to do it, you know, other than work obligations, which are usually a part of travel. Um, But like all that free time, I haven't been accountable to anyone. And I've been exploring things I've never done before and all these new experiences. And I'm coming back to the daily grind. Uh, And as much as I might miss it, as much as I really am a homebody and like that stability and predictability, uh, it there's a there's a transitional period that I've never really solved. How I homecomings are never and the same ha- same thing happens when I'm the person left behind when a partner goes off and travels. I still build up these reunions as like these joyful occasions when like all we care about is seeing each other again and everything is suddenly happy. And that's just never the way it goes. And I've never really solved that conundrum. <laughs> I've always kind of liked how cats are when I come back home. They're just like, oh, oh, you're here. Okay. Oh, cool. you're here. Will you, oh, uh, will you please you pet again. me over I, here I right now? I remember you. I remember you. Yeah, go ahead and pet me, and then I need some dry food in that bowl over there. Uh, glad you're home. Cool, you're back. Awesome. Uh, can you get me this thing over there? Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I unexpectedly, I think something happened with my wife and I, who like early and early in our relationship when um, I would travel, I had a hard time uh, like on phone calls when I was away. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I there was something that just wasn't wasn't right, and it didn't feel right for her and and it just it was just a uncomfortable kind of tension for a while and at some point when both of us were traveling more um it just became a thing that we don't really talk that much when the other one is traveling um we text like you know details and usually like kind of domestic stuff and and whatever but like and and i find actually that that's like a that makes for a much um a much more sort of real return because yeah, I think part I of what's say, I do the same thing. I, I you do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I text mostly like we're not doing the phone call stuff. Cause that's, that's hard. Yeah. Because that's when you, that's when you, you go right into what you talked about, Brett, which is that you, you're living two separate lives. And if you're traveling, right. the fact is the person you left behind is dealing with things that, that either are the normal things, but they're dealing with them without you or they're dealing with them because you're gone. And, yeah. and like that, I think that tension just feels can just kind of come up when you like, you know, check in by phone. But for me also, like I travel is such a, as I've gotten older, I've really like realized travel is such a like weird false reality because first of all, you can go somewhere very far away in a few hours. Mm-hmm. And so that on itself, like if we're, there's a Wendell Berry essay about this, the, that I can't for the life of me remember the name of, but he talks about how strange it is. 
uh, in a beautiful sense, like to just get on an airplane and go from New York to Ireland in the case of this essay. Right. And like, and I, and so when I can drive, I drive just because I feel like when I drive somewhere, I'm watching the landscape pass and I'm like earning my destination and, huh. and I'm, and I'm arriving somewhere in a way that feels far more sort of natural to my like prehistoric brain. Like I watched the landscape go by. I still felt it. You can still feel the landscape when you're in a car. Right. But if I'm in an airplane, I, that truly feels like a portal and it just leaves me a little, a little dizzy. So anyway, the, I've, I've noticed that contacting home in phone calls um, is, is ultimately kind of breaks that wall that like, I don't know what you call it. There's like a veil, right? <laughs> and, and you break the veil and all of a sudden you're not traveling and they're not just home. You've kind of created this connection that can't do anything. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but anyway, my ex-wife used to call me from, cause she would go on deployments once a month, uh, for two well, weeks. She was the military, right? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> she worked for the ASPCA. Um, <laughs> She'd go to Mil- Iraq. The, go to- the military for pit bulls. Yeah. Um, yes. And and she would call me and she would tell me all about her day and all of the things that would ha- that had happened, and it felt like a good connection, but also like I wasn't there. It wasn't part of my life, and like I was just hearing it from far, far away, and and I would just kind of like pace until the call was done and she had gotten it all off her chest. Um, but it, yeah, it, I, if someone's going to leave me, I want them to leave. Um, even for a short period, like, okay, now I'm on my own. I want to exist on my own and I want to deal with everything on my own. And those long phone calls kind of drive me nuts. You're not here. I don't. I don't need. Right. That's. I don't need to be drawn into your day today because we didn't share any of this. No, that's the thing, right? It's like it's like we're we're not sharing this thing, and and it's and it's different than if you're in. Um, I think even like a long distance relationship where part of feeling connected to one another might be sharing some of those things. Like this is, you know, you're coming back, you know, that that, that this is going to be like uh, a recentering. And so instead it kind of becomes, I think for both parts, like you just feel like, well, I'm missing out on this thing. And I think sometimes for the person who's traveling, this isn't always the case, but there is this sense that like the other person's like, well, you're just off having fun. And, mm, and sure. doing all this exciting stuff, and I'm stuck here at home, you know, um, uh, doing the real world stuff. And and that isn't universal. I think like if if like stuff like your ex wife was doing, I I don't think there was like the the luxury aspect there. But certainly for things like what what Jeff and I have done, even if we're working our asses off and it's really difficult and kind of sometimes consuming work, there are still those aspects of like you're in a different place, a different city, and you know, and what? and so there's this fantasy aspect. I think that some people over who are at home like over index on and think that it's more like exciting and, and, and exotic than it is let me be clear i don't like to travel um i i have enjoyed trips in my life but if my partner is the one traveling i'm all about okay just focusing on me as as mm-hmm. a newfound yep. bachelor for a little while totally and i i don't mind synopsis how was your day here's what happened here's the one or two highlights of my day and then totally. cool love you have a great night 
Um, like that is about as much as my attention span can handle in that situation. I don't yep. mind. I don't mind the synopsis. And if you're gone for ten days, you know, maybe two of those calls during that time, just so that we are pretty well caught up when you get home. And we don't have to try to remember everything that happened in 10 days. We can have updated each other every few days along the way for about five minutes. I'm fine with that. And and I actually think that can make it easier on an extended trip to to reintegrate. Uh, but I don't I don't. I, I don't need the long distance relationship thing where I live my day and then spend two hours on the phone telling you about my day or hearing exactly. about your day. Exactly. Because again, like unless it is one of those things where you are literally apart from one another for say you are consistently apart three weeks out of the month. Like I, I think that that just, that creates kind of this, this pressure of like, well, we are living these parallel lives, right? Like if you're not living parallel lives, I, I'm personally not a, a big fan of trying to trying to go into that stuff because it's like okay, I, it was great hearing about that stuff, but what am I supposed to do with that? Which in, in the, the same is true for them of me. Like, what are they supposed to do with with hearing about the minutia of what my day was like? Right? Yeah. Like, it's like it's like it's yeah. like it's not that I don't care, but it's like okay, just tell me the highlights because and then into- and then this person that you've never met said this to me, and here's how it made me feel, and right. I think there's also a difference too, and and this isn't exc- this isn't canonically true, but I think for a lot of long distance relationships, many of them are um, people who haven't lived together and in the same space together before. Sometimes that sometimes that's that's not the case, but but many times I think it is. So it's like you meet and then you have to carry on and kind of get to know each other in these different places. So having the the minutia conversation can be can also serve as a way of getting to know a person and spend sure. time with them. But if you already have that base, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I don't totally. need to you know what I mean? Like like if I already know the person really really well, then I don't need to yeah. spend 2 hours doing that getting to know you shit, which might be really charming and make you feel connected if you're building a new relationship. But I'm like, I already know you. I don't care about what this this rando thing said and, and how terrible this experience was. It's like, yeah. hundred percent. Actually, you're making me realize like the thing we're not addressing is how wonderful text messages can be in that space mm-hmm. as a, yes. and for me, I think when it comes to coming home, especially like I love, I mean, text messages, I mean, our, our relationship is old enough. Um, and I'm old enough that, you know, I've had a before and after text messages sure. relationship in terms of travel. And it used to be that it was like a phone call or an email. Basically it was like the options, but like, I love being in touch by text. I love like my partner will send me photos. Like if something's going on with the kids, like oh, just sure. stupid shit, the here's, cats. Here's what your and cats then I doing feel, right now. I want to see that. Yeah. Totally. I love, like, that's awesome. Yes. And I, and like, you know, I send back little things, or whatever, like that has become, I, I actually only just remembered this because it's been so long since I traveled. <laughs> um, uh, that, that is such an important lifeline with me because it, the fact of the matter is the older I get, the more I'm actually not interested in traveling alone, even though I can still get into it. I can still love it. But like sure. what I loved about the pandemic was, and, and I realized this is the blessing was like realizing, oh, the four of us here, like that's kind of all I want and this is wonderful and so the texting has really helped to smooth that over because it's the it's the in-between thing right yeah see i think that and maybe that was one of the differences too is that when i was traveling like i was always with people 
And and I was getting to know people and I was like with my colleagues who I didn't work in the same offices with, but like we would get to see each other at those times. So there was also this other element there of of, you know, kind of an additional excitement thing. But it wasn't like I mean, sometimes it was, but frequently I I was never like having to kind of navigate a situation on my own, um, which had been more of the case before I joined Microsoft. But at Microsoft, my travel was always with a bunch of other people. Which you know yeah. is a different experience, and I think that might be why I, I, me like the get the the loss that I felt and like the, the 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 depression that I had from being grounded was as much a depression of not being able to see people that I'd become you know accustomed to being able to see yeah. every so often. You know, totally. totally. Do you guys want to try to fit a gratitude in this week? Yes. Yeah, let's do some gratitude. All right, then then we'll switch gears. This has been fun though. I've enjoyed. Uh, I, I realized this week that I never get sick of my partner. Um, like I'm an introvert. I I have like, I have like max, maybe two people that I can be with all the time, but we, we are together all the time. And I realized, holy shit. I never, I never want her gone. It's crazy. It's crazy. She's she's my she's my one person that fills my introvert <laughs> space. But anyway, okay, let's do some gratitude. Let's start with Christina, shall we? Sure. Okay. So my um uh, uh, gratitude this week is uh, the drafts app um from a, a, a agile sports. He just paid, he just paid for space on Gruber's show. Oh really? Yeah, he just ran an ad on the talk show. I guess. Okay, cool. Well, well, Greg, you should definitely be advertising on Overtire, all is right. all I'm saying. Uh, but but here's a free ad for you. No, Drafts is an app that I've been using. And actually, it's interesting because I think it just celebrated like a couple of weeks ago. It just celebrated its 10th anniversary, which is amazing. And I actually ordered a hoodie uh, to celebrate because they, they, Ooh, had, they had some, they had some merch. And, 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 and it's an app that, uh, you know, it's, it's on iOS. Uh, it was on iOS primarily until, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, it came out on Mac. But it's, um, you know, there's no shortage of kind of uh, notes and kind of, mess, you know, notes apps and organization apps. And we've talked about many of them. But drafts for certain types of workflows is still one of my standout favorites, especially on iOS because it has so many different hooks that you can set up. Like it's got like a notion integration now and it's it has you know, marked integration. It has marked integration. It has a really good markdown parser and other types of things that you can choose to do with it. And it's just uh I don't know, um on mobile stuff especially, it's just the the app that I really is is my um go to for for any sort of just kind of keeping track of my documents. And what I like about it is that even though I don't write everything in drafts because I keep it synced with like a folder where I keep all of my other markdown files, I can access everything in drafts and then sometimes do other stuff with it, which is really really nice. Let's so. let's give a short description for anyone somehow who hasn't heard of drafts before. How would you describe what drafts is? So I would say, and and I would I would be curious about how uh, you would uh, describe it, and 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 you as well, uh, uh, Jeff, if you use it. But it it's basically a um, a notes app. You know, it's kind of you to capture whatever you want and 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 mark down or whatever the case may be, and then you can apply actions to that. 
whether it's wanting to, you know, like send that text, uh, you know, convert it to a different sort of format or, or save it to a different place um, or, you know, integrate it with something like marked, you can then immediately um, like do other stuff with the text rather than just having the notes itself. So it's, it's uh, that that's, that's the way that I would kind of see it is that it's like, you can take any text that you want, you can just use it as an input me- mechanism. But for me, the really powerful part is it makes it really, really easy to integrate that text with a bunch of different services or a bunch of different locations. I, I would say it's a notes app very much designed for capture. Like every time you open it, you're faced with a blank sheet and you can yes. just spit out exactly what is on your mind. Whatever reason you opened your notepad for, it's just ready to go and you can input it. And then, yeah, it provides you with a hundred different ways to use that text that you just spit out. Um, and you can send it to wherever it needs to go and it serves as a single point. Anytime you have a thought, anytime you have an idea, anytime you need to remember something, it, you have one app that you can open, spit out your idea, and then it can go wherever you need it to go to to be useful to you. But you only have to you only have to remember to open one app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, I I love it because um, <laughs> I mean I use it in a very uh, not. Uh, drafts optimized way, but like you said, Christina, like, you know, you could think of it as like you write something in it and then you can, it can go anywhere. Um, And for me, it's mostly capture, but then the thing that I do is I use it when there's an email that I need to write and it's like a little touchy and I'm not really sure the tone I want to take. And I definitely know I want to sleep on it. Even if it's not like high high stakes, right? But it's just like, ah, I'm not really sure how I want to say this thing. I just write it in drafts and and let it sit there overnight. And then I can very easily transport it to my email afterwards. But like for me, it's totally like the cool out zone where it's just like, I need to write a thing. I'm going to write it in here first. So I'm not even ever tempted to say send before, uh, you know, it's like there's something about the barrier of copy and paste having to happen or of having to send it through an action. Right. You know, it really is that little piece I need between me and making a, an error. So. All right. Nice. I, I love it. Jeff, what do you got? Uh, you know what? Thank you, Airtable. I mean, this is a massive company with offices in, you know, whatever, London, San Francisco, New York, right? Like, um, we talked uh, some episodes ago about how to thank um, a, a developer or a, or a group of developers, which is sort of what this came out of, um, thanks to Christina. And I, I want to just say, I can't see you, Airtable developers. I mean, I can go to your GitHub page and I can see some of you, um, but I can't find like a list of you online. I, maybe maybe that's by design and maybe it's just me being incompetent, but I see you out there and my God, you have made such an incredible product. And the, I think of, of this place as this like massive group of developers because most of the features that I take advantage of as I'm working with their table, I just know there's like a team behind this right like yeah and and like i i don't know what to say about airtable company i hope airtable the company is a good company that treats you all well but i'm talking to you developers i'm not talking to the people in the c-suites like <laughs> thank you for building such an unbelievably solid product that never like fails to so surprise me and also like i said i think last week like it's just i love uh, i love an app where there is uh, a way in for a user community to kind of develop um, uh, their own so, stuff. 
So, so describe for anyone who's not familiar with Airtable. Yes. What is Airtable, Jeff? <laughs> so Airtable, look, like if you're, <laughs> I don't know who I'm talking to exactly in, out there, um, uh, overtired listeners, um, but Airtable is at its base. If you open it up, what you look at, what you're looking at is a spreadsheet, right? You're looking at mm-hmm. a spreadsheet that looks a little more like Google Docs than like Excel. Um, but the extensibility of that spreadsheet, it's like they, they accomplish something really magical, which is the extensibility of that spreadsheet is kind of bonkers. And yet... It's very intuitive, I've found. And I and I've found because I've I also do some you know, I'm part of this uh research and evaluation uh firm. And we one of the things we do and one of the things I do is I'll work with like social justice nonprofits and and we'll look at like what issues they're having with data and data flow and data integrity and and how they wish they could you know interact with the data they keep and every once in a while and by that I mean most of the time Airtable is part of that equation because it can handle not only a lot of data but it has all these little like apps that are written that you can like have a sidebar that shows you a little graph or shows you like, you know, a a custom search interface or whatever. It's just like, it is such a wonderful way to look at and work with your data. And every single table has an API. And I I was going to say, I will say as a developer, I've never actually used Airtable for anything personal, but I have written integrations for people because their API and the granularity of their API for working with your data, working with your tables, working with the entire application is outstanding. Like that's, and that's, I think what has set them apart. And I think that's what you most appreciate about them. Totally. And, and what's incredible is when you go to, to work with the API, what you see is a list of your tables, your bases, they call them. And like, and, and they have a little playground. Like you can just, Mm -hmm. you can inside of the Airtable site, start working with the API and seeing the results with their little like built-in terminal or whatever. Like it is just so freaking awesome. It is. And, and it's API and just it's, it's interface. Like it's easy. What's, what I love about it is that it's one of those things that for power users, you could do so much with it, right? So like people like Jeff and Brett, like you can write those integrations and you can do this stuff. But for regular people that you're just trying to get into working with your data and, and having a way to kind of visualize it, it's so easy to use and they can use those integrations without having to know necessarily what it all does. It's, you know, it, it's kind of like, honestly... The way I, I think about Airtable, I'm a, I'm a big fan, um, and we used to be able to use it at a, at Microsoft, and then um, we had to shift to uh, to doing something else. Um, but but I, that's how I discovered it was uh, was at Microsoft probably you know four and a half years ago. Um, I think about it as kind of like the old Microsoft Access, you know, or 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 FileMaker yeah. Pro, but in in kind of the browser era, right? Like that that's kind of yeah. how I feel about it. Is is that it's one of those kind of databases for everyone, but it can be more powerful. But I'm, I'm a I'm, I'm a big big fan of Airtable, like you. What was was it Bento? Do you remember Bento? Bento, I loved Bento. Oh, Bento. Yeah, yeah. It gives me feels Bento was the, the best. way Bento the way Bento same me feels. Yeah. It yeah. was like the fi- it was like it was made by the same people as FileMaker, right? But it was the yes, idea it was. was that yeah, I the never, idea was that it was I more visual as an data- interface. I never yep. needed a database, but Bento was such a great app that it made me want to use databases. Well, it was funny because I actually built like a um, like a 
and it's so funny because because Kevin um, Hochter, who who worked on the Bento team um, at, at FileMaker, uh, always remembers this, and he still sometimes talks to me about this. Uh, and other people who worked on that team still remember it too. Is that I built like a, a database for my clothing, like I, I built like a closet <sighs> database where yes. in Bento, where I had you know information about each item, and I had photos, and I had a whole thing, and I was basically kind of trying to create the clueless closet. I never quite got to the the you know matching algorithm part, but I basically you know, recreated the clueless closet in Bento. And and then on the iPad, it was this perfect thing because I could just go when I could, I had stuff like, you know, like tagged by color yeah. and other stuff. And I could just like go in and look, oh, okay, what are, what shoes do I have? And what other things do I, do I have? And it was like the best, it was you know, the best uh, thing ever. You know what? I love, speaking uh, of Bento, I miss Delicious Library. Yes. Oh yeah. God. And sure. I bought, I bought a QCAT. Because of delicious library. Me too. Me too. Me too. Well, and just I want to get one thing in about Bento and Airtable. I love, I think I suggested last week that one time we we do Graptitude as if it were 1990 something. Exactly. Um, Or like whatever, like 2009 or something. Um, But the thing about Bento that you reminded me of Brett and you, Christina, that's true about Airtable is like, I make databases that I didn't mean to make because <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, it would be cool. Like I have a database. I've lived, I've lived at like 37 addresses. I have a database of all of those places I lived and you can just start like you build it, the basic database and then you can just like, let's play. And that's how Bento was. Yeah, no, but I think you're right. I think this is what makes Airtable really powerful and why a lot of people use it and why. And I just looked, they raised... They raised seven hundred and thirty-five million dollars in a Series Jesus. F round in December. So, Jesus Christ! Good for you, Airtable. But my God, is that a lot of money? Yeah. Jesus freaking yeah. Christ! Um, yeah. Like that's just insane to me. Like that's I, I can't even fathom raising that much money in a single round. But I think the reason that it is successful and why they're clearly trying to go into hyper growth mode is exactly what you said. You can create databases and stuff for stuff that you wouldn't normally think about. Cause normally the way I think about a database, I'm like, Oh, I don't need this. And I'm going to have to, you know, uh, figure out what SQL statements I want to do and, and, and start to do that. Whereas, you know, with Airtable, I can just start creating kind of a list and, yeah. and then, and then, you know, making it work for me. And, and so it, it's taking that kind of power of Excel, but, it's not Excel. We've been, we've been talking about this long enough and my air table has been open long enough or the like main corporate page that I've gotten the, uh, Hey, they're interested in air table. Let's talk. Uh, I just <laughs> want to, I want to add one last thing, which is I am among the, the strange creatures who writes CS, CSV files, just like, that's how I make begin databases, whatever. But it's also just like, Mm -hmm. if I want to keep notes and I think it should be a spreadsheet, I'll just write it as a text file CSV and know that like, I can bring, it's almost like what you can do with drafts. It's like, I can just send this wherever I want, whenever I want to. And so anyway, Ooh, this is fun. (laughs) So I found this, I found this picture the other day and it's me and me in the middle, uh, David Sparks, like, popping his head in from the right <laughs> and then Paul Kim uh, of Noodlesoft on the left licking my face. Nice. Ooh. And I don't remember this happening, but I can I can attest that at least one point in my life I was in the same room as Paul Kim because he's <laughs> licking me. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Paul Kim, author of Hazel, for Mac OS uh, is it's an amazing, it's, a, it's an automation tool that like can watch for 
certain events, especially file changes in in any given directory, and then perform a series of tasks on that file or because of that file. And like I use it, I, I have so many Hazel automations running on my machine that every once in a while, something happens automatically that delights me and I forget why it <sighs> happened and I have to go look. And I'm like, oh man, that that is exactly what should have happened at that time for yeah, that sure. particular file. Please share um, some of your automations because I would love to know like what sorts of things you have. Because I have a number of them too, and I I, I use yeah. Hazel and it delights me a lot as well. But I'm always so curious. Two, what two of my favorite it. things I do with Hazel are if I save an image to my desktop and I add percent percent and then a series of characters to the name. Like if I add percent percent O, it will optimize that image like <gasps> like PNG crush or or use JPEG compression on it. If I percent, if I put percent percent R eight hundred C, it'll take a PNG file, resize it to eight hundred pixels, and then convert it to JPEG. And so I have this whole whole system worked out where I can just name. I can save a file one time to my desktop, and if I make it at two X and then per- put percent percent half on it or percent percent H, it'll save the 2X version and a half size 1X version for me. And the other one that I use is this whole system I worked out called uh, Tag Filer. Mm-hmm. Tag Filer. I, I can put a series of tags on any file, like a, a pound sign and then a context. Like I have a work and and a file cabinet and a pictures context. And then I have a colon separated sequence of tags that defines where that file should be located. Uh, and so for me, I find those files based on their tags, but tag filer actually puts them into appropriate directories on my disk. So if ever I lost all my tags and I could no longer find my files based on tags, they would be sorted in shallow directory structures based on their tags. And I could find them in those directories. If all I was left with was like a Unix command line and no spotlight, I could still find my files. And, and those are both completely automated via Hazel. I, I want to say I have a Brett Terps to bootleg. Um, which is when we first started working together and he was consulting with me and my project, uh, we were talking about tags and I had been listening to Brett talk about tags or write, reading him write about tags for like most of my like power user life. So I'm like, listen, I need to be able to take this slow. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to just record with my screen up and I am going to talk to you for like an hour plus about tags and, and, and we're going to, we're going to move things around on the screen so that I can revisit it whenever I want. Suckers. I got the bootleg. Um, <laughs> it's like the bootleg of the Brett Terpstra tagging book from back in the day. <laughs> um, I wanted to say like Brett and I are building a tool or like more like a workflow to deal with interview files um, that come in for the project 
I work on. And, and basically this workflow works them from the point that you plug the, the USB friendly voice recorder into your computer to get the audio file of the interview all the way to the point where you've loaded the transcript into a qualitative analysis software. And Hazel uh, allows us to make it so that when you plug in, we always have the same model of voice recorder. When you plug that in, it's like, oh, I see we have a interview for the project. Let me go ahead and make a little folder package for that and get you started. And we use Hazel for that. It's amazing. Yep. Yep. All the way through that process, there's like, there's parts where you have to interact and you add a tag. And once you add that tag, Hazel picks back up and continues the process for you. And oh, that's so cool. No, I'm it like, is a super he, cool thing. Yeah. No, hearing you two talk about it, because I've used Hazel and I've, I've bought it and I've, I've, I've like I've been a user for probably as long as it's been around. I probably learned about it originally from you at TUAW, Brett, probably when it first launched. Right. Honestly, it was either you or, or, or um, uh, Scott McNulty, because I remember he yeah. was a big fan. Um, was... Uh, so I use it, but now I'm like listening to how you two are doing it. And I have all these ideas of stuff I could automate mm-hmm. um, and, and file stuff I could do. I love that that idea of, of adding stuff to the file name and having actions automatically take place. Yeah. Um, because I have a bunch of scripts and stuff that I could apply automatically if I'm just going to name mm. a file something, which would make, which would just save so much time. Yeah. Yeah. It does because then then you're just worrying about a file name or or tags that you add in Finder, yep. and then everything else is just taken care of, and you don't have to you don't need like drop zone to like deal with the files. You just name them or tag them, and and shit happens. Sh- tag them and shit happens. Tag them and shit happens. That's right. That's, that, 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 <laughs> that's a great episode title, actually. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, appreciate you, all of you. Thanks, you guys. I would, I would, I would classify this as a good episode. (laughs) I think it is. Yeah, Yeah, this is, this is, I think this is a very good episode. We had had some heartwarming moments. We had some, some touching conversations. That's right. We had, we had a little swearing, but not too much swearing, like a perfect SEO. A little bit of fucking swearing. Oh, right. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) I don't, I don't think that one's going to tip it over. Um, so let's see. Um, what is uh, here? Thank you. Aww. Thank you. I just want to take this opportunity to thank all the people that made this happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you guys get some sleep. Get some sleep. Get some sleep, boys. The system is going down low.